We continue in our series this morning in the 12th chapter of the book of Romans, if you can bring that first slide up. The title of the series is called A New Life's Resolutions, A New Life's Resolutions. And as we have done the past two weeks, I would like to again do this week with starting and reading the entirety of chapter 12. Follow along with me if you have your Bibles or your smartphones or your iPads or if you've memorized it. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we being many are one body and Messiah, and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints given to hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it's written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy hungers, feed him. If he thirsts, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And to that we all say, Amen. Next slide, please. This morning we'll be concentrating on verses 3 to 8 of Romans 12. And the title of this message is Be Sober. Sober in how we view ourselves. In other words, the scripture is enjoining us to take a realistic, truthful look, unencumbered by the things that will fog our minds. A truthful look at who we are, at what we do, and at what drives us. It's interesting that the translation here uses the word sober. What can make us unsober? Oh, here are the obvious answers. 
alcohol, drugs. How about anger? How about mistrust? How about self-consciousness? All of these things are taken into this understanding of being sober. In other words, be of a clear mind when you take a self-assessment of yourselves. Be sober in how we view ourselves. Next slide, please. There are some questions I believe we all ask ourselves. Here's the first one. Who am I? I mean, who, who, who am I really? I love it, the old uh, Bill Cosby. And look, I, this is no uh, uh, comment on Bill Cosby. Put that aside. You remember the old Bill Cosby routine about Noah? And Noah says, Noah. And Bill Cosby goes, who is this? This is the Lord, Noah. Do you remember what the next line was? Who is this really? Well, I think sometimes we have to ask ourselves the question, who am I really? Who am I? What is my identity? What defines me? And that's one of the things we have to be sober of in taking a self-assessment of ourselves. Next slide. Another question we ask, where do I belong? What am I doing here? Have you ever found yourselves in a job or in a position or living in a certain area of the country? And you ask yourself, what am I doing here? Where do I belong? That's another question that we all ask ourselves. And finally, thirdly, what am I supposed to do? Next slide. Oh, you got it there. What am I supposed to do? What's my significance? It's like the old Dionne Warwick song. What's it all about, Alfie? But I think we have to ask ourselves, what's it all about, Dennis? What's my purpose? And we'll find, I hope, as God leads me through this message, that all of this has nothing to do with us and everything to do with him. And when we figure that one out, then a sober self-assessment becomes a lot easier to come by. Next slide, please. Now, there are obstacles to the right answers. The first obstacle is fear, which is rooted in shame. Fear that's rooted in shame. It affects our identity. Does our past identify us? Dear ones, if my past identified me, I would not be standing up here. Because I've done things in my life that would make any one of you kind of scared. But my past is not my identity. What about our security? Well, what if people knew the things that you did or sometimes still do? It kind of gets us into a mode of isolation. And finally, significance. If they knew who I was, if they knew what I did, how would anyone ever trust me? Next slide, please. There's also hiding, which is rooted in insecurity. I think you're once, there you go, insecurity. It's a sad thing, but with many people that Tina and I counsel, isolation can become their way of life. That's how they deal with life, by isolating themselves from other people, isolating themselves from the world, because they are so insecure that they can only deal with themselves. We block off who we are in order to be okay. And finally, next slide, there can be blaming, which is rooted in denial. Blaming, 
which is rooted in denial. We pass the blame onto others so as not to have to deal with it ourselves. Now, in any teaching, if I'm up here telling you something and it's not grounded in Scripture, you should tell me that I need to get a biblical basis for what I'm saying or don't say it. So next slide, Genesis 3, 8 to 13. Let's talk about shame. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. They were ashamed of what they had done. And so they hid themselves from the Lord God. Now, you should kind of snicker to yourself when you think of the thought of hiding yourself from the Lord God. (laughs) Who sees through walls better than Superman. And yet we do that, don't we? We tend to hide ourselves, and we think that if we hide ourselves successfully from the people around us, then maybe we can also hide ourselves from God. But if God knows the innermost being of who you are, if God knows every cell that makes up your body, if God knows how every cell interacts with every other cell so that you can walk, talk, listen, eat, and interact with people, dear ones, there is nothing about you, in you, or around you that you can hide from the Lord God. Next slide. What about insecurity? Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. I was afraid, I was naked, I hid. There is someone or someones in this sanctuary this morning that live life afraid naked, and hiding. And as I'm speaking this morning, I'm praying for you right now. Because there is no need for that in God's economy. We'll get to the reasons for that in just a minute. But answering the questions of who we are, where we are, what we're doing, and what our purpose is can get blocked by feelings of fear, by feelings of being naked in front of the world and the subjective need to hide ourselves from those around us. Next slide. And what about blame? And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of life which I commanded you not to eat? Wouldn't it be good if Adam's answer was yes, Lord? But that wasn't his answer, was it? Next slide. The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me from the tree, and I ate. Dear ones, Adam was not only blaming the woman, he was blaming God. Have I got any God blamers here? Too many times I hear people say it was God's fault. I followed him, and I let it happen. It was his fault. We need to guard our minds. We need to guard our hearts. 
we need to understand that the blame game is not a biblical game. The blame game is of the devil. Next slide. It wasn't just the man. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, it's the serpent's fault. The serpent deceived me. And I ate. Now, I don't know about you. But when God created man and woman, he said it was very good. They were very good. I bet you Ken and Barbie held nothing on Adam and Eve. I bet you Albert Einstein held nothing on Adam. And I bet you whoever the smartest woman you know or the dearest woman you know, the name that comes to mind is Mother Teresa, held anything on Eve. Don't you think she was smart enough not to be deceived? Don't you think she knew what was right and what was wrong? For another message, we know that it was the lust of the eyes and the sensuality of the flesh. But deceived me? Please. She took no responsibility for her own actions, just as Adam took no responsibility for his own actions. And therefore, the blame game began in the Garden of Eden. Next slide. But what are God's answers to these questions? Oh, do we lose it? Talk amongst yourselves. I'll do a little dance while we're up here. There we go. Next slide. God's answers. The answer to who are you is found in Romans 12, verse 3. For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, But to think soberly, as God has dealt to each a measure of faith. Next slide. Who are you? You are someone who needs to think soberly about yourselves, not too high and not too small. And the whole point of this, and we'll get to it, and I kept thinking, trying to think of a way to say this that was clever, to say it that it was memorable, to say it that you would never forget, and I really can't think of a way to do it, so I'm just going to try to do it the best that I can. If you think of yourself in an isolated way, you will never understand who you are. We are meant for relationship. First with God, and then with each other. Why do you think Yeshua's answer to the Pharisaic lawyer when he asked what the greatest commandment was, why do you think the answer had to do with relationship? Love the Lord your God, love your neighbor as yourself. Because we're meant to be in relationship. And not just to feel good and warm and fuzzy. We're meant to be in relationship so that we can work together as a body for the greater good. That's who we are. We are part of something bigger than ourselves. Don't think too highly of yourself, but also don't think too lowly of yourself. I've told the story before. Um, some of you may have heard it, although it's a lot of new people here, um, of a woman when we planted the congregation in Northern Virginia back in 1998, and that woman who need, doesn't need to be named would come in 45 minutes before the service, kind of like someone here, who I won't embarrass, and go, went through all the bathrooms 
and cleaned the trash cans and made sure that not only was there a full roll of toilet paper, oh, by the way, it has to roll from the top and not from the bottom, just in case you wonder. Thank you very much. Otherwise, how could the, the, the people in the hotels make that nice little, you know. She would make sure that the counters were wiped down. She would make sure that there were enough paper towels. And only until all the bathrooms were ready was she ready to come into the service. And some would say, oh, well, she was a female janitor. No, she was a minister of God. And do you know why she was a minister of God? Any mothers here with young children? Okay. Where's the first room you go to when you walk into the building? The restroom. What happens if the restroom's dirty? Probably walk right out. She was preparing the building for whoever was coming in, not thinking too highly of herself, and we ought not to think too lowly of people who do that. Every part serving the function that they have. Next slide, please. What's God's answer to where do you belong? Romans 12, verses 4 to 5. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we being many are one body in Messiah and individually members of one another. Do you get this theme of relationship here? I'm not going to get too graphic, but I have to tell you this story about a conversation I once had with my eldest son. We were talking about what parts of a body are more important than the other. I was trying to make the application to the body of Messiah. But, of course, the scripture uses the uh, parallel of our own bodies. So I said to him, I said, okay, what do you think is more important, your brain or your... Just in case, you know, I'm blocking it. Your... Because I can't say that out loud because it's recorded and it goes out over the internet and somebody will sue me or something. He said, well, your brain. I said, well, what would happen if you stopped working? And he looked at me and he went, oh. Every part doing its part for the benefit of every other part. Do you understand? Where do you belong? In fellowship with each other and in fellowship with the Lord. You see, a sober self-assessment doesn't take a rocket scientist. It just takes someone who loves the Lord and who loves other people. Next slide. And where do you belong? Romans 12, verses 4 to 5. For, we have many, for as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we being many are one body in Messiah and individually members of one another. We have a role to fill. We have a role to fill. Not just in our families, not just in our jobs, but in this congregation. We'll talk about that some more at the congregational meeting. But if you are a member or a regular attender of Son of David congregation, you have a role to fill based on your spirit-given gift so that the body of Messiah might be edified, so that the congregation might be strengthened, so that the witness might be stronger, and so that more and more people will come to faith in the Son of God that we lift up as a witness. Amen? We have a role to fill.
The next slide, what are we supposed to do? Romans 12, 6 to 8. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm just going to read the first part. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. You know, it, it, it makes so much sense that I don't understand why people don't get it. Here's the example. If you're six foot ten, weigh 241 pounds of muscle, and have a 48-inch vertical leap, what should you be doing? Is, is that a hard question? Playing basketball in order to get a scholarship so you can get educated. Follow me? Okay. If God has gifted you with the gift of administration, how should you be helping Son of David congregation? In administering. If God has given you the gift of teaching, now listen to me. If God has given you the gift of teaching, not if you've determined in and of yourself that you have the gift of teaching. If God has given you the gift of teaching, what should you be doing at Son of David? Getting involved in Bible study. Not just going, but teaching. If God has given you the gift of hospitality, what should you be doing? Be hospitable. Help us in the Oneg room. Help us at the information and welcome table. I love how the scripture puts it. If your gift is prophecy, prophesy. Duh. If your gift is ministry, minister. And you thought Paul was really hard to understand, right? If your gift is teaching, teach. If your gift is exhortation, exhort. If you give, do it in abundance with liberality. Here's one, though. If you lead, it doesn't just say lead if your gift is leadership. It says do it with diligence. If your gift is showing mercy, do it cheerfully. In other words, if you've been giving a gift, use it. I hope you remember what I said last week. How come there are so many decisions and so few disciples? Decisions are personal. Discipleship is communal. Do you follow me? Having then differing gifts according to the grace that is given to us by him, let us use them. And so next slide, what are you supposed to do? Discover and use your spiritual gift. Discover and use your spiritual gift. Now, this is not in Scripture, but I wish it was in Scripture. Here's what is in Scripture. Faith without works is what? Spiritual gifts without using it is? Is there anybody here who really wants to be a dead body sitting in a pew? Seriously. Is there anybody here who has proclaimed faith in Messiah Yeshua that God has not given a spiritual gift or gifts to? No. I'm not going to ask for a raising of hands. How many people here are not using that gift for the edification of the body? 
That's what this section is all about. Taking a sober look at yourselves to see if you are following in the purpose that God has given you. Next slide. Oh, by the way, this slide's important. Can you tell? Never forget. God uniquely created each and every one of us. We are eternally valuable. I I, I hear somebody in their mind, this is what they're saying. Yeah, but not me. Says who? Says who? Not God. Psalm 139, 13 and 14. And by the way, it's always amazing, Carmen, when you pick the songs and they go along with the message. I don't know how you do it because we don't talk during the day. For you have formed my inward parts. You have covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works and that my soul knows very well. Do not Forget, you are eternally valuable. Next slide. Oh, by the way, never forget, God has placed you in his family. You are unconditionally accepted. Why is that important? I don't have to worry about my past life before I came to faith. It still has consequences. Don't get me wrong, but that's been forgiven. As has the sins that I've done this week, as are the sins that I may do in the next week or month or years. I am unconditionally accepted. God does not judge me by what I do. He's concerned for what I do. But his judgment was laid to rest 2,000 years ago on a hill in Calvary. Ephesians three nineteen to 22. I'm just going to read 19. How important it is to know the love of Messiah, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Oh, you didn't hear me. That you may be filled with all The fullness of God. Are you kidding me? How does that work? Messiah in me. The fullness of God. You see, when we realize that our identity and our purpose and everything about us is all in him, then the fullness of God resides in us. And never forget that. We are unconditionally accepted. And oh, by the way, next slide. God gifted you to fulfill his purpose. You are irreplaceably significant. How many of us sometimes work in a work environment where we feel like if, you know, if we just disappeared and didn't come in next, the next day, no one would ever notice? God notices. Son of David notices. Your brothers and sisters in this room notice. Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship, created in Messiah Yeshua for good works, 
which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You don't do the good works to get to God. You receive God and then can't help but do the good works. I love it when Tina says, God's world is upside down and backwards. And praise God. And so next week, I'll be delivering the message on my head. (laughs) You see, we can't equate the world's philosophy with God's paradigm. it's, It's backwards. He gives to us so that all we can do is want to give back to him. Or do we? Are we just receivers or are we responders? Are we just an audience or are we part of the choir? Do we come to be served or are we part of a serving community? That's what this section of scripture is all about. That's what being sober-minded is all about. It's all about knowing who you are, why you are, whose you are, and because of that, what you should do. Next slide. So here are some personal questions, application questions, that I'm going to read very, very slowly so that you can write them down as I'm reading them. How accurately do you think of yourself? How soberly do you think of yourself? And do you think of yourself in God's terms or in the world's terms? Next slide and second question. What gift has God given you to use? You see, when I first went through this, I left out the to use. And I just wrote down, what gift has God given you? And you know what? That's a good question, kind of. But the question is, what gift has he given you to use? And are you using it? Next slide. What next step do you sense God wants you to take? Both in your personal life and in the life of Sunday Daily Congregation. Three weeks ago, I said that um, we've transitioned from a building campaign to a congregational campaign. This is what we're talking about. Now, I can't say this with 100% certainty, but I believe that one of the reasons we don't have yet enough money to make a down payment to build the building that we want to build is because we haven't built the congregation enough yet. The plans are ready. The land's ready. The county's ready. Everything's been figured out. I think we need to get ready. I think we need to build each other up. I think we need to be a better witness to the world outside. We're going to talk about that a little bit at the congregational meeting. I think we all need to take, including our congregation as a whole, next steps to sense what God wants us to do. 
And finally, here's the sober assessment that I want you to really, really take home with you this morning. In order to come to grips with the real you, the real you, not the Monday to Friday you, not the I'm in my apartment so my neighbors don't see me during the week you, no, the real you means knowing who God says you are. And he says you're his child. And he says you're his son. And to that I say, Amen.